morning. Encourage you just to invite your family next Sunday. We'll only be here an hour, but how many know people can get saved in five minutes? So, (laughs) and uh, Pastor Roger is going to just bring a a short but very powerful Christmas message next Sunday. I don't know what it is, but I know Pastor Roger, so it'll be powerful. And um, and just so I encourage you, I know that it's a busy day for you, but you can take an hour out of your day and come and focus on what's really important, you know. I, I was thinking about this today is there's nothing wrong with traditions. Traditions are fun and, and but we, all, we always have to know what's the difference between what is the word of God and what is tradition. And, and sometimes that can gray over, you know, because we have done certain things for so long in, in our lives as Christians or even within the context of church that we sometimes make what is a tradition and we make it holy and may not be. And the only way to distinguish it is the, is the word of God, it's the scriptures and what does the Bible say. So on uh, New Year's Eve, what we're going to do, and I'm, I'm going to make this a very short message so we can, because you're going to be able to smell all the food during that time, so uh, you'll want to be over there eating. But I'm just going to do a recap of the year, what has God said to us, and then what is God saying to us as we move into the new year. And one of the things that Pastor and I have been talking about starting in January is as teaching the book of, uh, of Acts and how that uh, maybe entitled it something like returning to our roots and when, uh, when when I talk about returning to our roots I mean the book of Acts is our roots and a lot of what church has become in our culture may not necessarily reflect what it was when God established it and how many know when God starts something he starts it right and we got a whole, you know, a whole book that gives us instructions in that. But so we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've been talking about intimacy with God this Christmas. And so as we talk about this today, the idea of Emmanuel, and a lot of you will see on the next slide that uh, the word Emmanuel is spelled with an E and an I. So it's not misspelled. It's just a, the kind of a, a little bit of the contradiction coming out of the Latin or out of the Greek. And so Emmanuel, Emmanuel, E or I is the same word, but it simply means this. It means God with us. And that sounds, you know, you know, some, so many, you know, so many times we've heard that because of Christmas and we know the, the revelation of Emmanuel is God with us. But the, re- the reality is this, is the foundation of everything that we are and everything we are about, it hinges on the revelation of Emmanuel of God being with us, God being, you know, uh, available to us, and we have access to God. And so this is, uh, we've got to break it from being a Christmas tradition and make it the reality of our hearts, the reality of who we understand God to be. And I was thinking about this in a context of, of traditions and kind of sometimes we we don't realize that we have our own language within the context of Christianity and we're trying to share Jesus with a world that doesn't speak that language. And we've got to find ways to communicate that in, in practical and in some ways, as the Bible says, a childlike way. Uh, I had one of my patients in Buchanan the other day and they were telling me they have a grandson, this lady has a grandson who's seven, and last week during school they did a Christmas thing and a a priest came. 
And, and, the, and the priest could notice that her grandson was staring at his collar. And so he bent down and he holds it and says, has the boy touched the collar? Do you know what this is? And the little boy answers and says, it keeps ticks off for 30 days. <laughs> How many know that's his interpretation? Because what he thought it was, it was the collar. Well, we put that on the dog and it keeps ticks and fleas off. And so we have to understand that it's not only communicating with the world who Jesus is, but we have to break through what is sometimes our vernacular and our traditions and be able to, to share the reality of, of Christ in, in, even in simple ways to people. And the reality of the revelation of Emmanuel is so foundational to the understanding of Christmas and the understanding of our relationship with the Lord, that it was in the book of Isaiah in chapter 7, very strange story. I went back and reread this, and there is King Hosea is the king over Israel. And the prophet Isaiah is kind of in some of the earlier parts of his ministry. This is probably about eight or nine, let's say 800 years or so before Jesus was born. How many know 800 years is a lot? In our, in our terms, it's more than eight lifetimes. And so 800 years before Jesus was born, the, the prophet Isaiah uh, comes to King Hazai, and, and King Hazai is a great, 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 great grandson of King David. So this is, I might not have enough greats there, but whatever, this is in the lineage of King David, and he's a part of the royal family. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and, and it's just this weird thing in exchange that goes on. And, and the word of the Lord to the king from Isaiah was, ask for a sign from God. Any sign, doesn't matter, and even in, uh, when you interpret this in the Hebrew, he says, however big, make it really tough, make it, make it extraordinary, make it so difficult that only God could do it. And the king has a weird response saying, no, 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 I'm not going to test God. And then Isaiah responds in almost a rebuke to him and says, listen, well, your, your royal family, verse 13 of David, isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you also exhaust the patience of God as well? And I've read that story for so many years and I'm going like, that's kind of weird. Like he just, like maybe he's hesitant. But the reality is, when I prayed about this and studied it, what I realized is King Hosea was, his, he did not want to put his trust into God. He put it in his own wisdom, his own understanding. He put it in himself. If you, if you read the whole story of this king, the, the Assyrians were the global uh, power during that time. And when they would come down and want to attack Jerusalem, instead of trusting in God, he would pay off. He would take the, the, the wealth and the, and the money from his own people. His own people, listen to this, because sometimes we don't think of it in real practical way. He was making some of his own people starve to death to pay a wicked, king from Assyria because he wouldn't put his trust in the Lord. So that's the condition of the heart has to be brought into understanding in this exchange. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah in this exchange saying, why are you, you, you why are you, you uh, kind of, uh, the patience of God is running thin with you. Why won't you say what you want God to show you a sign of? And then all of a sudden, the spirit of the Lord, now you have to understand, 
when we read this story, kind of like, yeah, okay. No, man, this is like, he's about ready to say something, Isaiah here, that is life changing, is historical. You know, even today, you know, we're talking 2,800, almost 3,000 years later, we're talking about it on a Sunday morning here in Fairmont, West Virginia. That all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he says, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. If you don't want to say what that sign will be, God will tell you what it is. And look what he says. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This will be the sign. This will be the revelation to all people that God is real, that God is love, that God wants to establish, uh, establish relationship is this word, Emmanuel, God is going to come and he's going to be with you and it will change everything. And then we know the rest of the story. It'd be, you know, one thing if we lived during Isaiah's time going like, wow, that's a pretty powerful word, yeah, yeah. But we live after the fulfillment of that. That Jesus Christ comes in Matthew chapter 1, and it says, as he considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, the son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Yeshua, Jesus, the Savior, the Deliverer, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this occurred... This is, what you have to understand, this is still the angel speaking. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. How many know that Joseph knew this story? He, he, the book of Isaiah among the Jewish people was probably one of the most read and known books of all the Old Testament. So Joseph grew up knowing this story. So the angel now is repeating to him a prophecy that was established, you know, 800 years prior that Joseph grew up with all his life. And now the angel of the Lord says, hey, there's going to be something weird that's going to happen. You know, your, your fiance that you're going to get married to, well, she's already going to be pregnant. But don't worry about it because the baby that's in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then he, he attaches the word because everything in, in our lives, everything in the reality of, the, of our existence and the fulfillment of God, it is always confirmed by the word of God, isn't it? How do we know that it, it's true or how do we know it's God? Because God's word will confirm it. That's why we don't take prophecy out of context, and, and we don't take a word that if it doesn't line up with the Bible, what do you do with it? You throw it out, because the word of God is our foundation. And so the angel speaks the word to him. The same thing from Isaiah chapter 7. says, look, the, the virgin will conceive a child. She will uh, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is God is with us. God with us. Amen? And so that's the reality that we're living in, the promise of fulfillment of it. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of it, eternity-wise, will be when Jesus Christ returns. But we already live in the revelation and the encounter of that because of the Word of God and because Jesus has already came to the earth. So there's three words there, and I'm not going to take a lot of time. I'm going to let you beat the Baptist to the restaurant or something. Anyway, it's just a joke. Anyway, but just these three words, God with us. Say that with me. God with us. And I want to just 
take those three words and make them the three points, okay? That way you, you, get, you know, yeah, got a three-point sermon. Anyway, so number one is God with us. So God, this is the, re- if Jesus was just a man, there was nothing significant that changes in our life. But if Jesus was God, then everything changed. And so Daniel, in Daniel chapter 7, he prophesied that there was going to be one that would come. It was, he was going to be the Messiah. He was going to be the Son of God. And then in Mark chapter 14, the, this was the question that was posed to him by the Pharisees. How, they, they just wanted to kill him. But the religious leaders were asking Jesus this question. He finally tells them the, the answer. Tells it right to their face. And this is partly of what cost him his life. Now, I know that he laid down his life, but I mean that it was the motivation or the evidence they used against him. They asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus responds and says, I am. And how many know that carries a whole bunch of stuff right there, just that, those two words, I am that I am. I am, and you shall see the Son of Man setting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. So he now is living out his life. He's ultimately going to give his life for us and die, but he's speaking of a future thing, I am God. And I'm going to come back on the clouds, and you all are going to see it, and I'm going to sit at the right hand of of the Father. Okay. Philippians chapter 2, you know this, but just kind of in the context of Emmanuel, the apostle Paul writes to the church of Philippi and says, though he was God, how many know that's pretty straightforward? Jesus, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to hold on to, to cling to. He, it was the word in the Greek, the word kenosis. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in, the, in human form. Verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, because of this, the God-man all God, all man come together in Jesus Christ. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His only begotten son was given to us, the son of God. I'm not going to read it, but you can see on the screen, Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8, that the demons knew who he was. (laughs) A lot of people were stubborn and blinded and couldn't see. But when Jesus showed up, when there was someone that was uh, demon-possessed, the demons would cry out and say, what did you come? And the son of the most high God, they knew who he was. They knew he was God. Thomas asked the question in John chapter 14, Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responds with a very famous, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Jesus responding says, I am the way. I am the truth. Remember, every one of these are I am's. I am the life. And no one can get to the Father. There's no access. There's no other way to get to God except through me, except through Jesus. You know, especially in the job that I have now, I deal with people with all, from all different types of religions. I respect people. I love people. 
I, you know, I respect them as an individual, but there's also the truth that I carry that I, it doesn't matter what I think, it's what I believe, and I believe there's no other way to get to the Father. There's no other access, there's no other bridge. There is none of these other religions that have a God at the top of it, except for Christianity, because Christ is God. And there's no other way to have access to the Father except through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I love, because Thomas says, well, we don't know where you're going, and then then Philip goes, well, I want to see the Father. You said you want to show the Father. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you so long? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, say, show us the Father? And I I won't read all that because you know it, but Jesus is saying, I I am a perfect representation of the Father. You want to see what the Father would do in this situation? Look what I do. If you want to see the Father, see me. Jesus is the perfect representation uh, to the Father. He is our access to the Godhead. You know, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Godhead is in the Bible. But for us to put in our puny brain, I love when people try to to, uh, give a definition of the Godhead and, you know, God revealed in three persons. Well, where did you get the word persons at? So I never did like those. And sometimes I think we just come to a point going like, I understand it somewhat. There is three parts and it's all one, but I also understand my brain is not able to completely comprehend God. Now, maybe someday when we are, we'll know as we're known, the Bible says, when we're in heaven, we'll have a greater comprehension of that. But what I do understand is that we had lost access to God. It was cut off because of sin. And the whole picture and the whole plan from the foundation of the earth that Jesus Christ was slain was so that we could now have access back to God, and we do it through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, and it's so, I love John because, you know, all Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they talk about kind of the human genealogy of Jesus, where he came from, where Joseph came from, where Mary came from, but John doesn't even take any time for any of that. He goes right to the source. He says, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that, that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. It, it's establishing the divinity of who God is, of who Jesus Christ is. Verse 14, later in that chapter, goes, the Word, here's the, this is the whole thing of Emmanuel is, is wrapped in this. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the, of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, and he was filled with grace and truth. That's who he was. I mean, and so it, it's that reality that we live with that God came and dwelt with us. And now, now through him that I'm able to have relationship with God on an ongoing daily basis. Uh, John says, and the word, the word logos, became flesh, and by this he means the infinite, invisible, intangible God became a person you could touch and see. Jesus makes God touchable, relatable, and knowable. We can know God because we do it through Jesus Christ.
Jesus is God and the only one who can forgive sins. You remember, he, he says, go, your sins are forgiven after he healed the paralyzed man. And then they're going like, yo, you can't do that. Only God can, God can forgive sins. And guess what? Yep, you got it. <laughs> you got, they got the right answer, didn't even realize it, that he, because he was God. And because of that, Jesus receives worship. If you look at all the other times when angels would show up and people would start trying to worship angels, they would say, no, 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 don't, stop. don't do that, don't do that. But Jesus received worship, why? Because he was God. You see that picture of them crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and as they, you know, are worshiping the Lord, and it says from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. And that the reason that I worship and I give praise to, to Jesus Christ is because he's God. And when I do that, it connects my heart to him. I have access to the throne room. I have access to, to, to God through worship, through praise that was made available through him. And so, Jesus purchased us now as God. Think about that. As God, he came and poured out his blood as a ransom for us. That the, the ability for me to be saved, to be born again, and to have relationship with God has nothing to do on my merit or my works or what I did. It has everything to do on, on this one premise, is that God came, he dwelt with us, he died as a man, he rose again, and when I put my faith in the blood of Jesus, it cleanses me from all unrighteousness because Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of all of those who put their faith in him. And because of that, now I live in relationship with God in this mortal body, but one day I will see him face to face because the word of God promises that. Amen? And that's, you know, that becomes a foundation of how we live our life. Real quick, we're going to do the next two. The one, number one was the long one because it was God. You know, you had to spend a long time on that one. So God with us. Say God with us. And that, the, the second word there, with, God is with us. He became flesh and was with us. Jesus said when he left the planet, said a weird thing. He says, better I go away. So where I, you know, where, where I go at this time you can't be, but it's better that I go away because I'm going to send another just like me. And, and also the word there, the word helper, the word paraclete, the one is a perfect representation of me, which is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He bears witness of Jesus. So not just like, oh yeah, let me tell you about Jesus. No, he is connected to the source of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit now lives in every one of us because we were dead in trespasses and sin, but we've been made alive in Christ Jesus because now the Holy Spirit lives within us. And, and now God is dwelling in us by the Holy Spirit. And he's, he is in a place of building personal relationship with us. The whole reason he came, the, only, the whole reason he came to be with us is so that he could build relationship with us. And it's all leading to this, the revelation when we talk about the seven feasts. It's all leading to that final feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, which means God dwells with us. He camps with us. And, you know, when, when Jesus comes back, we'll never be away from him again. Never. And I know that it's wonderful right now to have the Holy Spirit, and, and we have that relationship, and we're building it. I'm not going to in any way diminish that, but one day we will know him as he's known. We'll have a glorified body, 
and we will be with him forever and ever. And all because God came to be with us, to dwell with us. And that, the Christmas story is just the beginning. <laughs> it's just the beginning. He's going to physically return with us. And so as we live out this year, 2023, Jesus, God is with us. And then the last one, God is with, but he's with us. Say us. With us. Imperfect people. He was a friend of sinners. Those that will humble themselves and accept him, he is going to be with. And this is how I want to end this. God is with us, and he's going to be with us in 2024. As we cross over into this next year, we can face it no matter what comes, no matter what the elections look like, no matter how crazy things get in the world around us, no matter how uncertain financial situations go, we are not going to live in any place of fear because God is with us. We will have no fear and uncertainty. We'll be courageous in the face of all opposition. We'll have direction in the midst of chaos. We will have wisdom when we're surrounded by stupidity. We will have refuge in the midst of turmoil. And we're going to get closer to him, even in though we're in a world and a culture that's moving further away from him, we're only going to get closer to him. And this is important how we respond in that place of revelation that God is with us as we cross into the new year, the new year is that a lukewarm response is irrational in the day we live in. It's not rational. Cowardness cloaked as, as compliance and being nice. I'm not talking about you shouldn't be nice, but I'm saying don't be a coward. And this is kind of where we'll land the plane. It cost him to be with us. And what are we willing to pay to be with him? Amen? Well, Lord, we just thank you that it's not just like a, a nice little traditional thing. Oh, Emmanuel. No, God is with us. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so thankful that you came to be with us and dwell with us in human form. You, you took on the lowly position of a slave and gave your life. Not only that you came to be with us, but you, you made a way for us to be with you forever and ever. And the reality is that we're, that is our eternal fate is to be with you. And that's a good one. Now as we cross over into this new year, just a few weeks away from 2024, we don't know what all lies ahead of us, but we know who's with us. We know who promised he'd never leave us and never forsake us. No matter what we got to face in our personal life or even in the world that we live in, we are so grateful that, God, you are with us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep this, keep this image up here. I think that's so beautiful because when I was a kid, I would go to the barn with my Uncle Tom and he would milk the cow. And the barn was not the cleanest place. But this particular cradle reminds me of something. It reminds me of the atmosphere of my own heart when Jesus showed up in my life. It wasn't clean. We weren't clean. 
he showed up in the midst of her filth. He showed up. He didn't have a requirement to get clean first. He didn't say, you've got to hit a certain standard. He just showed up in the midst of it, in the midst of our failure, in the midst of our inability to be anything, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sinning, in the midst of those things that make us unclean. Jesus showed up. Would you praise Him with me right now? Would you just love the Lord right now? New birth only has one requirement. You cannot clean up your life before He comes in. You just say, you know, even the town of Bethlehem, there was no place for him. So many people have no place for Jesus. They just know, I got something else occupying this room in my life. I got something else occupying this. My whole life is all full. There's no room for Jesus in my life. But when he comes in, the glory, the glory of what you are to become, people who've touched the Lord and know the Lord, they realize I'm made for more than what I'm living right now created for more than what I'm actually doing right now. And that last line, he paid the price to come for us. What are we willing to do? Were we willing to say, come in my life? I open my heart. Come and bring new birth to me. Would you lift your heads? I don't know everybody here, but I know this that he didn't make it hard. He said, if you believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that something of heaven is imparted into your own spirit and the seed of those words come in and create into the soil of your heart new life and you come alive on the inside and the Holy Spirit who brings God with us actually begins to give you a hope that you never had. A hope that you've never had. A love that you taste that you've never had. People are trying to find stuff. They fill up the rooms of their life with everything else. And they chalk up Jesus as some kind of a religion over there. He's not a religion, he's a person. 
and he comes to filthy places and enters our depravity and comes with the beauty of his innocence and gives us the hope of what we're to become and then washes us and cleanses us from our sins and takes away the generational curses and the traumas and heals us as we walk with him and we discover our value how cherished we actually are to the Lord just like when Mary held the baby in her arms knowing that there was a prophetic word and an understanding of who she was carrying and now she becomes face to face with God in the flesh. Just tell the Lord, I'm going to give you my heart this Christmas like never before. I'm going to give you me. Help me. And that's the delight. You see, the Bible actually teaches you and I are an inheritance of the Lord. We always think in terms of inheritance, something we're going to get. But the Bible teaches that you and I are his inheritance. That Jesus came down and he gave himself so that he could receive us. Would you just say yes in your heart to the Lord? With your help, Jesus, I will become all that you have destined for me to become. In the name of Jesus, go ahead and say that. In, say, with your help, Lord Jesus, I will become everything you have destined for me to become. Thank you for your cleansing power. Thank you for the strength to live in you. I surrender to you, Jesus. Let's go ahead and praise the Lord for Jesus. Praise the Lord. Would you stand with me?